And now, live from beautiful Myrtleby, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Hi, and welcome to my very first podcast of My Fellow Americans with me, Spike Cohen. Um, this was originally going to be live streamed, but that didn't happen because I don't know how to use a computer. And uh, But I thank you for, for watching this. And so I want to thank Matt and Mohammed for this opportunity to... Uh, to start podcasting. It's something I've considered for a long time, but they gave me that push to start doing it and start having a weekly show. So I'm really excited about that. I got to give a shout out to uh, Tayron Turks's mom and him. Um, uh, just, so just to kind of explain what this show is about, uh, I think my friend Philo Beto explained it best. Uh, this is a uh, Hebrew, hip hop, and cap, salsa, and dog grooming podcast. Um, and basically, um, it's going to be kind of all over the place, but uh, the show is pretty much going to be uh, me kind of uh, sharing my uh, political views uh, as they relate to current events and having on guests to, to talk about it. Uh, so it's going to be pretty cool. I'm going to kind of probably figure out what I'm doing as I go. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, I am an anarchist, which means that I believe that uh, government is unnecessary and harmful. I think that uh, services are best received uh, through a uh, free market that is unfettered by force uh, from competing com uh, competing providers who uh, provide services to you at uh, giving you the best value. Well, when we try to get services, whether, whether it's uh, security or uh, roads or, you know, healthcare or food or whatever else, we may think that, uh, that whatever types of services that we need, um, when we get it from government, we're getting it from a, a, a violent monopoly uh, that uh, is financed by theft and that uses uh, threats of violence to uh, enforce uh, itself. And, 
it's odd to think that you would be able to get uh, good services from, from an organization like that as opposed to uh, people that are competing with each other to try to get your business. Um, so that's what my uh, worldview is, and that's kind of where we're going to go with the show. Um, and so uh, without further ado, uh, my uh, guest is uh, the host of the Lou Sander Show and an occasional host of the Freedom Fiends radio show. Uh, he appears as a guest on a number of radio shows and podcasts, including this one. Um, he is also uh, an organizer and promoter of the Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest, which is an annual weekend-long libertarian festival that's in Michigan. Uh, his website is uh, lusandershow.com. I'm very excited to have him on. Uh, and so without further ado, here is my good friend, Lou Sander. Lou, thanks for coming hey. on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here on your inaugural episode, and it's no accident that I use the word inaugural. Yes, we're very, yeah, we're <laughs> going to use very, very heavy political uh, uh, terminology. We're going to use on the show. Yeah, and it is the Fourth of July. So, rebel scum, if you do not <laughs> like British law or the king's taxes, then you can move to Somalia. Exactly, exactly. You got to back the red. If you don't back the red. Then, uh, you know, next time that you need someone to uh, tax your tea, call a crackhead. Um, yeah. If, if you don't have a thin red line bumper sticker on the back of your carriage, the next time Indians come into your neighborhood, you're on your own. Exactly. Exactly. Um, our, our, our Redcoats won't be riding for three days to come to your rescue. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. Uh, and the response time has not improved much since the 1700s. No, that's the thing. Like, you know, you would think with, with cars that that would be better than horse cars, but it's pretty much that, that good solid, uh, what, what, five to 30 minutes on average. So, so you'd think they would have worked on that. But again, when you don't have competition, why would you? Um, so I'm really happy to have you on. Uh, there are many reasons uh, that I, I chose to have you uh, uh, come on as my first guest. Number one, you were available. That was a big one. Um, uh, the fact that you could, I'm busy. yeah. So that that was that was a big a big one. Uh, another, the, really, the biggest re reason is you are uh, the person, one of the people who really forced me to challenge my belief system. Um, you know, I was very much a, a you know libertarian. Uh, possibly even just a libertarian-leaning conservative. I was very sh big about the Constitution, and you know we have to obey the Constitution, and you know the that you know we need to uh, you know we need a, a a government that protects us, uh, you know protects our rights and all of those things. And and you know debating with you um, on social media, uh, and and you know having you really challenge that to, and, and basically just saying like, have you read the Constitution? And my initial re response, I, I don't think I ever actually called you a libtard. But, uh, you know, that was, that was, you know, those are the types of thoughts I was having, like this, you know, this guy, what, you know, what's his problem? Why doesn't he, you know, support this? And, and it, it really kind of, if I'm, probably to prove you wrong, I, uh, I went on to, uh, you know, went online and, and actually read the constitution, not just the, the bill of rights, but actually the, the, you know, the, the, all of the, the seven articles, the seven articles and really just article one was enough. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, holy crap, this is not about my freedom at all. This is about. Uh, robbing me and finding loopholes to imprison me without any reason. And, 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 you know, and then reading about the, the history of it and everything else about how, you know, how a lot of the people that were involved in the revolution were very much against the constitution and that, you know, the bill of rights was really just lip service that was added to get them to sign on to it. And, uh, and, and it really kind of changed my belief system. And I, I sort of reread human action and, and then I read some, uh, some Spooner and, and, uh, some Sterner and things like that. And it really kind of forced me into that. So I, I, I credit you, uh, in a major way to that. And I thank you for it. 
Well, thanks. It's it's nice to have somebody not call me a libtard and actually pay attention <laughs> to what I say. You know, I, there, there's a meme. I, I love talking about memes because memes are the digital bumper stickers moving up and down the information superhighway. Right, right. Yeah. There's a meme, and I've, I've made a couple versions of it. One is the redneck guy, and, and, and he's just a mess. And he's got his red, white, and blue uh, flag bathing suit or whatever on in his shirt and you know i pledge allegiance to your clothing and then he's got his two he's got his two ugly toothless redneck women on his arm and it says when the anarchists are talking about stuff that you don't even understand and you're just waiting for the first opportunity to shout libtard or maga or maga yeah yeah and and what that really comes down to is most people don't really have a belief system. They have an ideology, but not a belief system. Right, right. And by, and by ideology, I guess I, I, I probably should say faith a little bit more yeah, than, yeah. Than, a, than an ideology. Yeah, there's not much they, praxis behind what it is they believe. Yeah, they operate on the faith that the Constitution is a good thing. It, it must be because the guy at the bar who the guy that sits at the end of the bar that goes to the campaign for a tiny bit more Liberty meetings every month. He thinks it's a good thing. He hasn't read it either, but he heard it from somebody else. And it's, 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 it's where a, a slogan or talking point takes on a life of its own and becomes truth in the mind of the believers. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, I, mine was very much a, a belief system. I, 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 I think it was, obviously it was flawed, but it was it was based on my perception of of you know foundational things that I really hadn't challenged. People had told me it, and I believed it, and I moved forward from there. And then once it was really challenged, it, it made me rethink everything that I believed. Well, things to things to really take into consideration with this and the the faith belief system that goes behind beyond behind this. Well, the religion, the the religious faith that goes behind the the founding fathers. I refer to them as the fondling fathers on occasion sometimes the the founding lawyers and when we look and when we look at john adams having people incarcerated for calling him his rotundity that's when i switched to the founding furors <laughs> because that did happen under the alien and sedition acts right 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 of of, of course it, the reason behind it was because there was uh war that was impending with France and there were concerns that, that the French would be meddling in U.S. internal affairs and everything else and and this, that, and the other thing and all these different reasons. And they came up with this justification. It's kind of like one of the very first public arrests made under the Patriot Act with the expansion of police investigative powers and everything else. It wasn't about taking down a terrorist cell in Dearborn or, or New York City or something like that. It was taking down some good fellows in New Jersey with their strip club. Right, exactly. And and that was, you know, that was something that, that was big with me because when, when for example, when the uh, – they pass one every year, but when the NDAA was passed a few years ago, that uh, that allowed for uh, warrantless wiretapping and holding people uh, without. Warrant. Oh yes, the ind the indefinite detention yeah. provision of NDAA twenty twelve. Right, and and so, you know, a lot of people were saying that's unconstitutional because of the habeas corpus act, and I said, or a habeas corpus clause, and I I said. By then, I realized it, it was perfectly constitutional because it says in the habeas corpus clause that 
if uh, and I forget, I, I think it's if, if, it's if, Article One, Section Nine, Clause Two. It says the privilege of habeas corpus shall not be suspended except in times of foreign war. invasion or domestic rebellion. Yeah, and not just that. that that's it, that's it, not it's not an exact quote, but that's pretty darn close. Well, and it actually ends in uh, something along the lines of conditions that may require it. So they left it very yeah. wide open. I mean, you talk about the founding lawyers. I mean, there was some serious weasel wording there where when, you know, Abraham Lincoln suspended it, when it's basically been indefinitely suspended now, whenever they want to use it, it's fully within the Constitution. The government, the, the Constitution is a document that is written that, that presumes to give government the authority to rob us, kidnap us, and murder us as it sees fit. And any of the amendments past that are essentially window dressing because those articles are the founding articles so that, that those things come before anything else. So that was a major realization for me. And, and, uh, I, I, I get, uh, it's why I don't get upset when people call me names when I say these things, because that was my reaction that how dare you say something about essentially what was my faith in government? Well, let's, let's take it a step further. Uh, I, I think the only real complaint about that article one, section nine clause two, indefinite detention provision that was used in NDAA 2012 is, I believe, I, I may be wrong on this, but it may be listed as a congressional power versus a presidential power. And the with the provision in NDAA 2012, the Congress has granted that power to the president without right. actually, without imagine, without actually amending the magic parchment. Right. So, but never whether it, they could do it or not, it was just the, the, the means by which they were doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and most people don't don't know about that clause in there. And something else, Article 4, Section 2, Clause 3, I believe it is, or Section 3, Clause 2. I can't remember. It's To me, it's all a palindrome. Uh, <laughs> the, that's the Fugitive Slave Clause of the Constitution. Now, the, 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 you mentioned weasel words, and the founding lawyers did not mention slavery at all in nope. the Constitution at all. Mm -hmm. They used euphemisms like persons held to service or labor. Right, 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 right. So in that regard, somebody that's reading it today that has absolutely no idea of the context, you know, like let, let's say the typical – so-called small government Republican or LP person, particularly they're brand new to it. They're like, okay, I'm going to start loving me some constitution. Right. And they, and they start off reading we, the people, blah, blah, blah. And they start getting into the technical stuff. They're like, ah, too long. Didn't read. Let me just exactly. skip ahead to the, let's, yeah. let's yeah. skip ahead to the good part here. You know, first of all, be infringed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So really, really, the belief in the Constitution falls in the category of constitutional idolatry, right? Because they're looking at it as a as a holy symbol, and they are worshiping it as such. And, and quite frankly, if you read through it, it's particularly Articles one through seven. It's 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 hard to see where anybody would come up with the idea that it's that there's liberty in there. Yeah. I particular, particularly where it says, you know, the very first two clauses in Article 1, Section 8 are the power to tax and the power to run up a national debt, right. which will be paid with the power to tax. Right, which is enforced with the power to do whatever else they want to do it. I like your meme that, and I shared it once, where it was just a napkin, which was uh, colored similar to, oh, yeah. to the, the Constitution, but it said, you know, uh, it says, right, uh, what does it say? I have the I have the right to rob you because it says so it on says this It says so, napkin. right, on this here napkin. And I, I love it because when people say, well, that's totally different, and I say, why? And they'll say, well, because that's just something you wrote on. I'm like, yeah, but the Constitution is just something that someone wrote on. The only difference between that napkin 
and the Constitution is that there are people who are willing to kill for the Constitution. I haven't had an opportunity yet to convince people to kill and, and rob and, and, and use whatever violence or threats of violence are necessary to enforce my napkin. But in terms of any moral authority to do those things, that napkin doesn't have any more authority than the Constitution has. And that's, you know, that that was, and again, it was a major change for me because it, it, I, I, th I don't think we were actually Facebook friends before I had made this change, but I was very much into the Constitution. And it was only, I like when you share some of your old posts from four or five years ago, it's similar to how I was, you know, that, you know, we need to just follow the Constitution and everything will be fine. And, uh, oh, and it was, a it was, it was a major, uh, it was a major change for me that, that, that it was a belief system. It was a, and not just, it wasn't a belief system. It was a religion. It was a, it was a, a faith that had, you know, saints, it had, uh, you know, articles of faith, the flag, the, the, the anthem, uh, the pledge, um, and, and the emotional reactions that people have to someone not, you know, treating that anthem or pledge or, or, or not seeing their, their saints, the founders, in, in the same way that they do. They have this, uh, in, in many cases, I know a lot of American Christians who get a lot more upset about you not, you know, respecting the, the pledge than they do about you not, you know, respecting a, a hymn or a, or a call to prayer for, you know, at their, at their service. They're way more invested in their patriotism than in their, in their religious faith. Well, the, the second commandment of the Church of Statism is the right to keep and bear false gods or idols shall not be infringed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So before we go much further, um, I want to get a chance to, for you to, to, to talk about your stuff. Um, uh, as I said before, you're the host of the Lusander Show, uh, and you uh, occasionally host um, the, uh, the, the Freedom Fiends radio show. Um, tell me a little bit about that, about, you know, what, what got you started with that and uh, sort of your format and, and, you know, the types of things you do on that show. Well, let's start with the beginning. Um, the, the Freedom Fiends was my first podcast that I'd ever listened to ever, ever. Mm -hmm. it, the very first one. And I had. Uh, I, I, I saw Michael had posted it to somebody else's wall. This back in the time of walls before timelines. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And I, I think it was uh, somebody that was affiliated with the Mises Institute. And I was still rather rather new to libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, market anarchism, whatever you want right, to call right, it. Right, right, And I saw it, and I'm like, hmm, let me listen to this. Oh, wait, I have to download? Oh, no, that's scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and But anyway, I wound up listening to it on, on, on my computer. So I just hit play on the web page. And it's like, hey, wow, this is rather interesting. Holy cow. And I already started embracing the ideas of anarchism. We can get into the, the, the roots of that a little bit more right. after, after this story here. But I, I listened to it. I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat. And, and I listened to a few more episodes. And, and this was back in the early days. This is back when it was a podcast. It wasn't even on LRN yet. As a matter of fact, this is back in the days of doing double enders where they would each record their, sec their segment over Skype, but they would record it on Audacity. One would send their copy to the other and then sew it together in Audacity. Oh, wow. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking early podcasting right, primitive right, right. days. Right, yeah. You know, and, and then eventually more equipment got added, mixers and, and the ability to record stuff. But anyway, uh, I, I sent a, a friend request to Michael W. Dean, who was the the head hamster of sorts at the time, and, and uh, Nima Vidati, who, well, I guess they were both they were both founding fiends. So I don't know that there was one fiend that was higher up on the on the hierarchy. But anyway, I, I sent them both friend requests and, and 
I, I just started catching up on the backlog of, of the early episodes and, mm-hmm. and started learning the new one, hearing the new ones when they came out. And Michael had put out a request that said that he was looking for somebody to be an admin on the Facebook page for the Freedom Fiends show. So I jumped at it. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on this. I'll right, do right, it. Right. So there I was posting memes, cat memes, anarchy memes, all sorts of different stuff. And I got a chance to interact with the audience that, that follow the Facebook page and everything else. Right. And eventually the, the Fiends um, website expanded and a blog was added. And Michael sent me an email that says, hey, would you like to be a blogger on the, on the Fiend blog? I'm like, okay, that's cool. Right. And, and also I'd done like – I think uh, I think we may have been at the point of where they were on LRN, or they may have been doing some live streaming. So I mean, this is this is pretty early in yeah, the yeah, it was like early early foundational stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is like 2012, 2013, something like that. Maybe even maybe even part of 2011. But anyway, I, I started writing blog posts on there, and I, I did a number of them that were quite well received and got shared in quite a few places. But uh, Michael had had asked me to do that. And I did some, uh, fiend in the field reporting as an example. I did a live report. The first one that I think I did was from, I don't know if you are familiar about this, but, uh, it was Baker's green acres. Uh, the, the farmer's name was Mark Baker and he was here in Michigan over in the West side of the West side of the state, kind of over by Traverse City area and okay. Cadillac a little bit. So if, if you're holding up your left hand and looking at it with your thumb to the right, it would probably be like the, the knuckle below your pinky finger. Oh, somewhere that's right, because there. this is Michigan. Okay. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's over in that area there. But I had gone up there because there was a, a big court case going on and the, the the court case just kind of fizzled like they usually do uh, m- most court cases people think they're going to go in they're going they're going to get justice right. no they're going to get they're going to get a bunch of postponements and and things are going to get pushed over they're going to go and make a couple motions it's it's really a big giant waste of time as far as shakedown schemes go it's probably the least effic- efficient shakedown in the history of all humanity and there are crackheads that will have you in and out in less than 30 seconds but the government can't the government can't accomplish that oh and the crackhead will leave you alone after he gets exactly the there's anyway. not going to be several months of procedural delays with the crackhead yeah yeah i mean he, he may catch you again like a couple months later and try to rob you but you know it's it, it's, it's not going to be planned right exactly. but anyway so we did a live broadcast and interview from his house and what was really cool and i think this guy's a lot more publicity on it was the first hour Hour and a half of the show was Ben Swan back when he was, I think he had just left Fox 19 and was starting to go off and do independent stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. So Ben Swan was the opening act for the interview with Mark Baker. And then I got a little chance to rant on there and I'm pretty sure that was me getting my, uh, my, my pod or my radio, uh, fiend in the field cherry, uh, popped. (laughs) So anyway, after that, we did uh, a couple months, about a month or so later, we did a live broadcast for the first hour of the show on LRN from, uh, what was it, Midwest, the very first annual Midwest Peace of Liberty Fest. And Ben Stone, the Bad Quaker, was there from badquaker.com. And he had all his audio gear, and we went and we were in the, we were in his motorhome. We did the first hour or so and, and got a chance to talk in the microphones and 
be heard by all the LRN listeners. Cool, cool. So that's that's. See, I didn't realize you weren't one of the original Freedom Fiends. I assumed that that was something you and 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 Michael and and uh, Jeremy and and so on had started. I didn't realize you were a newcomer to the Freedom Fiends. I'm one of the oldest serving fiends. There mm. were people that were guest hosts before me because they had microphones that were set up already. Yeah. So it, it, it's really interesting how you wind up on the fiends. You, you don't just fill out like an application to become a host. Right. You you get noticed or you send an email asking a question. Uh, as an example, Diana Kyler, she had sent an uh, email to Michael and it was on a, on the subject of AA because I, I guess she knew somebody that was dealing with her, something like that. And then Michael was very open with the fact that he's been in AA in the past and he's a recovering alcoholic and right. heroin addict. Right, right. So she was talking about the AA model and some other things. So she came on as a guest for like an hour or maybe even a full episode. I don't remember, but this is back in, back in the old days. And eventually the, the show went from just weekends on LRN and weekends on LRN and GCN up to there was a weeknight show. Oh, wow. But but this was on at 1 a.m. Eastern time. So that started off as Michael Dean after dark, and then it just transitioned to be the Freedom Fiends. And it was all fiends all the time. So I was one of the I was one of the original co-hosts on the on the new show. Oh, okay, and, okay, okay. Yeah. So Randy England had had done like a guest spot on the on the original Fiends on the weekends. Diana had been on there, and my first episode, I I was on there. It, it went pretty well, and I was I was rather nervous because I'd never done anything more than just calling in. So here I am using fancy equipment, and I have to have stuff to discuss. I have to say intelligent things so that people don't turn off the radio. Right. And that's and what, I, so that's that what I'm working on is, is saying yeah. intelligent things so that people uh, listen to my podcast. So yeah, I, I will well, to... fake it till you make it. Pretend, if you, can, if you can't be smart, if you can't be smart, pretend to be smart. I but anyway, pretend real hard. Yeah. So so the first episode went fine, and then the second episode, somehow or another, Michael had lost internet out in uh, Wyoming. There were like really bad windstorms. So he says, oh, okay. so. You want to do the show by yourself? I'm like by myself, ah, because when 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 you're doing a show by yourself, and especially if it's on live radio, if if you're doing a podcast that you're just recording, you're going to put out later. Right. No problem. You can go back and you can take out the exactly. ums yep. and ahs, yep. the sneezes, the hey, cat, get off of that furniture there. Someone walking <laughs> no. into the room and, and saying something to you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. yeah. The the SWAT team raid, whatever it is, <laughs> you, you 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 can always take that out. At, Later, you can always take out the pauses in in Audacity. There's a thing called truncate, and it will take out all the long pauses. Now, if you're doing pause for effect, it'll impact that also. But right, you know, it is what it is. It, it's a way of tightening things up. But anyway, you can always go back and edit it. Now, when you're on the radio, and you have to do twelve and a half minutes of audio, you have to sound intelligent. And if the alarm goes. Or I'm sorry, if you have more than five seconds of silence, as soon as, as soon as you have six seconds of silence registered, there is an alarm at the network that will be going off and board ops people, I don't know, the, the geek SWAT team will be scrambling to find out what's going on oh because God. there's silence. And I have visited GCN Studios 
I was at a festival a few years ago and I stopped there on the way back. I got the tour, got some, some swag and got to meet the studio dog too. Cause I got this little dog that runs around the studio. That's funny. But anyway, I got to see the operation in there and there was a time where something wasn't set up properly and they had the six seconds of silence and you heard the whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, the, it's not like the lights went down. The, the regular lights went out and the and the red light started spinning right, like when in the, the, the generator like, didn't come on. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there was no call to battle stations or anything <laughs> like that. It was just you know, a, a little alarm went off, kind of like a right, kind of like right. a timer. But anyway, That's... so yes, you have you have to do on a a twelve and a half or like a six minute segment of speaking constantly. But I was also the first one to do a solo show, and that came about from my co-host that was scheduled for the night not showing up until like the there was eight segments on the show and he showed up for the seventh and eighth segment so basically i started off with oh god what am i gonna do what am i gonna do and the board op is like well you better figure it out because you're going live right about now oh no and then the music comes in so i i had to fake it till i made it but Rather than freaking out and losing my mind, I, I, I persevered. I kept going, right. and I did, I did solo shows after that, planned solo shows. And after I did it, a few others did it. Wow, that's, that's awesome. And so then how did you, you know, what, what got you, why did you decide to, to start your own show with the Lusander show? Well, th- as much as I really enjoy doing live radio, the – I'd always wanted to do some of my own stuff and the doing the live radio on the fiends kind of, I use it as an excuse to not be as proactive on my own stuff as I should have been. I can't do this. I have to do the freedom fiends. Yeah. Well, also I like what you're going through right now. You're having technical problems today. (laughs) There's, there, there's a lot of stuff that I did not know. Right. 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 And quite frankly, I didn't really know how to figure it out. So between that and plus regular life and, and everything else, I did an awful lot of procrastination. And then finally I knuckled down and said, look, I got an awful lot of really good content here right. that I'm not going to need to take care of. I need to put it out there. It, it needs to get released. It's very good stuff. I want to get this stuff going and I want to, I, I want to have my own show. Right. I, I'm going to keep doing the freedom fiends, but I want to have my own show and put something out there that works for me. You know, that that's, a reflection of, of me, one hundred percent. Cool, cool. So, so I did that, and the first five episodes that I have are interviews that I did from last year at the fifth annual Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. And this year, I I didn't get very many interviews. I think last year I had a total of maybe fourteen or fifteen, and I combined some of them together because some of them were pretty short. This year, I only have about five or six. So when I get around to editing those, I'll start posting those up. But I still have a bunch from last year that I have to put out. And then I also want to do a lot of my own content. As far as the type of content that I'm going to put out there, a lot of it's going to be part partly reflective of the conversation that we're having here today. Okay, so how did you get to this point of right. I don't believe in the Constitution? Well, I read it. And <laughs> – I, what I'll be doing is I'll be putting out a lot of ideas and concepts out there. As an example, the, one of the things that you brought up as a possible topic for today would be the Supreme Court. Right. You know, well, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Rule of law. Uh, our, our mutual friend, 
Paul Gordon, his big sticking point to crossing over, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take a little credit. I'm his anarchy daddy, just like I'm your anarchy oh, daddy, okay. so, well, so to speak. Good to know. Okay. Yeah, and and he'll be the he'll be the first to to admit this and tell you that too. Um, one of his big things was trying to get over that hurdle of the rule of law. So when you when you look at the Supreme Court and people talk about, oh, but the Supreme Court is going to determine this, that, and the other thing. If the rule of law was actually the rule of law and not the rule of men and women, most of whom are completely insignificant. And I'm, I'm speaking of the so-called lawmakers. Let, let's, let's go a little bit further. What exactly is the law to you? Put, put, put on your minar- minarchist dunce cap and tell me what the law is to you. Spike. Oh man, minarchist dunce cap. Uh, the law. Well, actually, is... actually, actually, min status is the proper. Right, term. just the tip. Yeah. Um. Uh. Only the tip of government. Um. Uh. uh laws are are uh, rules that are written. It sounds silly now because I don't believe any of this crap. Um. Laws are written to uh to uh control. Uh, the uh, to 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 create order in a society that would be unable to have order without it. Right. Most people, and 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 they may not enunciate this this belief that I'm about to share with you, but most people see what you and I refer to as the law mm. as an entity of its own. Okay. They when when they hear the rule of law, they're they're thinking that the law is the the kind and just ruler, and right, that the right. law determines what is right, and they're taking out the fact that the what what they refer to as the law is actually the opinions, declarations, edicts, commands, and threats of idiot politicians. So the law is not some separate entity unto itself brought down from the mountaintop on stone tablets. Exactly. It's not an objective thing at all. Created created by a higher power. Right. It's the opinions of a bunch of idiots in D.C. That we hate. That we all hate. No one likes politicians, but then we have to follow the law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from there, we take a look at, okay, so this is the law. And it's it's really not this divine thing. It's just, it's no different than the napkin that you mentioned earlier. Right, right, right. Okay, the only difference between the the napkin and the Constitution is the belief of status that there is a difference right. between the two. Right. So here, here's the thing. If the law was completely solid and or objective and it had a particular meaning, the question is why are Supreme Court decisions or actually, let me rephrase, opinions. Yeah. And that's what they are. No, I know. Opinions. They're opinions, yep. Yeah. So why are these opinions always so often five to four, yep. six to three? Why are there so many split decisions if the meaning of the Constitution is clear? Yep. Yep. It wouldn't be arbitrary. It wouldn't be up to right. that that level of. I mean, even within science, there's some. Uh, you know, there's consensus, but there may be dissenting opinions. But there would be at least there would be more often that it would be either unanimous or close to unanimous. It wouldn't be constantly split along partisan lines of, of determining how it should be. Because like you said, it's entirely arbitrary. They're reading yeah. it and saying, how can I make this work the way I want it to work? As opposed to this, like you said, the idea of the law being its own self freestanding thing that, you know, that is, uh, uh, that is, you know, protecting us or, or doing whatever it's supposed to do. It's, it's this entity that we are allowed to harness, uh, you know, in, in all of its benevolence. Exactly, exactly. So 
the the laws are always subject to the interpretation of the interpreters. Right. Yep. Okay. It's the opinion of the interpreters. It's subject to their biases, their belief system, their experiences, their lack of experience, yep. their ignorance, their fears, and their other emotions. It is subject to their triggering. Yep. You know, how triggered they are by whatever the subject is. Well, like right now, exactly. everyone's debating, uh, you know, how, how is this person going to feel about, you know, this next Supreme Court justice? How are they going to feel about abortion? And it's like, well, if the rule of law was this, you know, like like we were just talking about, if it's a, this objective thing, it wouldn't even matter. Um, and, and I do agree with minarchists and conservatives when they say, you know, well, if government was smaller then uh, then who the next Supreme Court justice is or, you know, who the next president is wouldn't matter as much. And, and, and that's true. But I think what they're missing is that all statism, all government is a progressive disease and how, you know, how 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 authoritarian or how oppressive or how uh, in debt or how, you know, how horrible your government is, is just an extension of how far along the line it's progressed. Any government is eventually going to progress to totalitarianism until some other until something happens to to you know push back and, and, and force it back into another role. But it's constantly trying to progress on its own. It's not going to stay within a certain you know the proof being our government, uh, the U.S. government started with the. What do you mean our? The government that uh, cooperate with me here a little bit. The, the government <laughs> that presumes authority over the land mass in which we're all living in this moment. Uh, you mean the enemy occupation? Yes, the enemy occupation of my house uh, is. Uh, it started with the Articles of Confederation, which is as laissez-faire of a government document as I've ever read. I mean, the, uh, uh, they didn't even have the power to tax. They didn't have the far, the, the power to. Uh, uh, to you know, they basically had to ask the states to give them money. Um, uh, you know, it was such a, a weak central government. They didn't have a. There was no uh, executive um, uh, executive figurehead. There was no. I, I believe they didn't even have the well, power to form the armies. Fi like figure figurehead is the proper term for the executive because essentially it was it was like the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Right. So the the president under the Articles of Confederation was one of the other representatives and, and his job was to kind of like be in charge of the proceedings. Right. But the, so he was the president of the, of the, 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 the Congress who also was the one. Right. That, yeah. But he wasn't, right. his, it, it wasn't a separate it, it was, branch. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, this was a very uh, hands off or as close to hands off as I've read of a, of a, of an actual government and it has progressed to what we have now. So, for someone to say it's just like when you know when a communist says, well, that wasn't real communism, and you know, communists would communism would work if people would just cooperate with it. That's the same thing that you know uh, constitutionalists are saying. Well, the constitution would work if we just abided by it. Well, a we are abiding by it because, as you said, it's all subjective anyway, and the, the Supreme Court has determined everything that's happening is is constitutional. And b even if it wasn't, uh, it's one of two things: either the constitution has has created what we're what we're experiencing, or it has allowed it to be created, in which case it's either a, a bad thing or a useless thing. But it's not it's not helping us in our liberty in any way. Hmm. Well, let's, let's take a little step further back. And for people that are saying, what in the happy hell wiener are these two talking about? I've never heard about this sort of thing. Right, right, right. You know, what, do, what do you mean that the Constitution was a coup, the coup of 1787? Right, right, right. Uh, I'm going to recommend a friend of mine to them. It, 
it's uh, Dangerous History Podcast, uh, profcj.org or Dangerous History Pod or DangerousHistory.com, something like that. If, if you do a Google search of Dangerous History Podcast, you'll find it. Okay. And okay. C.J. Kilmer is a college history professor, and the definition of dangerous history is it's it's stuff that steps outside of the Overton window, and the Overton window is what is considered mainstream enough to be allowable opinion. Right, right. Uh, the, the example that Tom Woods always gives is you can debate on whether the the top marginal tax rate should be 34% or 38%. But if you say 40 or 20, then you're, you're insane. You're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, abs- yeah. you're absolutely bat humor crazy. So with, with this here, it, it provides a lot of the history. Now, there's a lot of people that believe that the founding lawyers had the purest of intentions. So w- let's go by what you had just talked about with the Articles of Confederation. And there, I'm not as knowledgeable on the Constitution as a lot of people are, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think I think a lot of that knowledge that they have is is the wrong knowledge. And I wish that my knowledge rivaled their faith in the Constitution, right. but it doesn't. So – Here's the question. The, the the whole purpose, and I'm going to describe this with a meme. The um, the the what was it? The uh, Federalist Papers, uh, largely written by Hamilton, and who were the others? I think John Jay, and I can't remember the third. Who was a major one? Incidentally, Hamilton's the, Hamilton's the one I always think of when when they talk about Federalist yeah. Papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publius. Interestingly enough, he wrote under a pseudonym promoting the constitution that he was a proponent of so he he had introduced it and then he had written his own review so that would kind of be like kind of like uh using a sock account on ebay to give yourself good reviews or like when trump would call people as john Barron or whatever and and say how rich he was and you know all the supermodels he had had he had he had had sex with or whatever yeah but anyway so (laughs) here's here's the question And, and i regard the i regard the federalist papers and the false promises in there as uh, the 18th century version of if you like your freedom from an overbearing central government, you can keep right. your freedom from an overbearing central government. Because they talked about all these things that how things would happen, how how things would not happen. And it, quite frankly, they got most of it backwards. And now the, the question is, was that by design or was that by accident? Did they have the purest of intentions and things just went wrong? Or were they just lying and and getting people to accept the Constitution, considering that the the no, the camel's nose under the tent? Right. And right. as an example, at the, at the convention, what was it? Um, Hamilton had proposed the uh, assumption of the state's remaining war debt for it to be nationalized. Right. And it it went nowhere at the convention, but that's one of the very first things that happened as after he was the Secretary of the Treasury. Right. Was, so, how are we going to pay this debt? Yeah. Well, the the, the things the thing is, the states were paying their own debt, and I, I believe Virginia had already paid off its debt in its entirety by the time the Constitution was ratified. Now, the the Constitution was a response to Shay's so-called rebellion. Mm-hmm. Are you, how much how much do you know about Shay's rebellion? I, I probably less than you. <laughs> okay. All right. There's. Well, there's a, a nice podcast on there as part of the Revolutionary Aftershocks and the American Revolution series on, on uh, Dangerous History podcast. What had happened in Massachusetts, and this was out on the frontier, Boston was, I believe Boston was the capital, and that was over on the coast and everything. So you had out in the frontier people 
there was a lot less population out there and plus right. with the distance. So they, they felt that they were not represented. Mm-hmm. So what wound up happening was the state legislature, which incidentally, uh, John Adams had been a part of the writing the constitution for that. So John Adams is a definitely a recidivist in statism, right. but anyway, they had tried to accelerate the repayment of the war debt, the war bonds. Right. Okay. Now, the 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 so-called rebels were not protesting having to pay back the debt. They were protesting having to pay it back at an accelerated rate. They were also protesting that the requirement was for the for the tax to be paid in specie, meaning it had to be paid in the hard currency. Right. And the, there was no hard currency on the frontier at the time. They, you could have said you have to pay for it in unicorn tusks and, and, right, right. and Martian brains. Right, okay? right. It, those things were not there. So there was absolutely no way on, on God's green earth that they could have paid the war debt in specie because it did not exist. Right, right. It, it's, it's like saying you have, to, you have to pay the war debt in limited government. <laughs> so – these people, many of whom were war veterans, and incidentally, many of the war veterans that did their time in this war for American independence never even got paid mm-hmm. for their service. They didn't get paid at all, or they only got paid for a tiny portion of it. But here these people come home from fighting for independence, and they get slapped with the bill for their independence. For, for what they just did, exactly. Yep. Yeah, for for what they just did and did not get paid for. Yep. Yep. But they get slapped with the bill for covering the munitions cost or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the war bonds cost. Now, something else. Because they did not get paid while they were in the military, many of them had bought war bonds back in the back in the early days. Mm-hmm. They had to sell their war bonds. Now, because it was suspected that the war bonds would not be paid back, you know, that's what the public perception was. Right, right. There were certain politically connected bankster types that bought up these war bonds for a fraction of the face value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for pennies on the dollar. And and then it, and then insisted to the politicians that they be paid in full, which is what the right. whole nationalizing the cost was about. Right. Yep. But the thing is, they, they were operating on inside information that these bonds would be paid in full at full face value. And the Assumption Act was actually the first bankster bailout in United States history. It was the first TARP was right, right yeah. at the beginning. That's funny. But that's the thing. So, I mean, that and, and obviously we're not taught that. Uh, um, but um, those were the things that, you know, reading about it. One of my, my biggest... Uh, uh, I guess I could say idols, because I mean a lot of it is is a, a, in some ways a form of idolatry. Was was Patrick Henry and and you know his his whole struggle during the the uh, the, the war for independence. When I really you know started drilling down on you know the history of the anti federalists and things like that, to to see that someone who I identified with more in terms of you know his struggle than for example a uh, you know a George Washington or or, or a Hamilton or a Franklin. Uh, he didn't agree with the Constitution. Uh, oh, and, he, he he spoke loudly against it yeah. at the at the Virginia ratifying conventions. Right, exactly. He, I believe he was one of the authors of the Anti Federalist yeah. Papers. Yeah, he was. And the yeah. the Anti Federalists, they 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 looked at the Constitution and they predicted 
with brilliant and amazing accuracy yeah. what would happen if the Constitution were be, were to be ratified. Yeah. They they should be completely vindicated by history. Now the problem is the so-called small government conservatives out there, you know, like Paul Ryan, that only want to that want to slow the increase in the growth of right, government, right. not actually not actually shave it back. Right. right no, I, I I saw this on a on a Glenn Beck. Uh, what what's this thing? The Blaze. Yeah, I, I saw this yeah. on, yeah, I saw this on his website, and they're the so-called small government conservatives. They were quoting the, what was it? The, uh, the anti-federalist papers and talking about taxation and everything else, and they assumed that the taxation was only about the income tax, or yeah. that that the anti-federalist papers were only about that, and it wasn't. It was. You know, any yeah. yeah. So they're, they're thinking that these are small government conservatives like them that that support the Constitution, but they're just worried about this. No, they were opposed to the Constitution because of the contents of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they wanted the 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 federal government, quote unquote, to be little more than just a, a an organizer between the states to make sure they didn't break into war with one another and and you know make ma- maintain commerce and, and agreement between them. Not. They didn't want a, a, you know, someone that was, they didn't want a centralized military or, you know, border uh, uh, immigration enforcement or any of that. I mean, they didn't even, uh, the the idea of those things was was completely foreign to them. Well, let's take a look at that. So you said to stop war between the, between the the several states, correct? Right, Right, right. Okay. And that sounds to me like a, like a very good argument. Right. Right. That sounds like something that we would want to have uh, to maintain commerce, to make sure that they engage in trade with each other, right. even for, even force them to engage in trade with each other if they have to. But the, the thing is that that trade happened. That sounds like a good thing, too. Right. What that there, that, that trade happened. Yeah. And, and that one state doesn't put all these giant tariffs on another to punish them, you know, through protectionism and all sort of right, stuff. Right right? right. 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 OK. And what else did you say they were looking for? That was pretty much it, that they, they just okay. sort of maintain relations between the states. That was the, the theory behind why the Articles of Confederation, what they actually wanted the federal government to do. Okay, so, it, well, those those are those are pretty good things. You know, make sure that, that rights are, are uh, protected and everything else. So if this is good for 13 separate nations, then why wouldn't it be good for like a couple hundred separate nations today? Why not a world government? Or three, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or why? To, or, why? Why not a single central government to make sure that the the countries in Africa don't have genocide on their people? To make sure that trade happens and that it's fair for everybody else. You know, make sure that there's a government to keep the economy going. You know. No. Exactly. Well, that's, why not? Why thing. not? Well, and that's where the anti-federalists yeah. were wrong. They still wanted statism. They just wanted an even smaller statism than than the federalists well, want. I, I I don't know that the anti-federalists were even supporting that much. Oh, okay. Well, then, and maybe it was different. I know. Uh, I know specifically Patrick Henry. He supported the Articles of Confederation. That was yeah. His, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally think that the Articles of Confederation created too strong of a central government. But here's the thing. Oh, any it, of it, it. Yeah. 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 So if you have to worry about these small governments going to war with each other, and you have to worry about these small governments messing with with trade, uh, then how is creating a bigger government more of a solution? Well, exactly. So it's like. So is it. it it's, it's the same nonsense that 
saying that the free market failed be, failed in healthcare because of all these different government interventions, and then coming up with Obamacare to solve all those other problems that right. were created right. by exactly. previous government invention. Exactly, exactly. Well, so, and, and and you took you know you took it to to in one direction. If if having a central government is good, why not a one world government? Going yeah. in the other direction, if having smaller decentralized government is good, why not have seven billion smaller decentralized governments of each individual making exactly. choices for themselves? Exactly, because it's not really decentralized until all power rests with the individual. Exactly. People people talk about state powers. Oh, okay. Are the constitutions at the state level not susceptible to the same uh, fallibilities as politicians at the at the federal level? Exactly. Exactly. No, yeah. I mean their goal is to become federal politicians. Right. And if 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 they can if they can have the same power at the state level that that the national politicians have why would they want to be national politicians it would be even easier because they have a smaller more more uh, uh central area to control so why wouldn't they want that exactly yeah every politician seeks to use power even if they believe it's for the better of everybody else yep yep exactly exactly they, they all seek to wear the ring yep yep exactly exactly um so you had started to touch on this a little bit before but uh, with the with the freedom fiends and so forth. But what was what would you say was your turning point to to bring you over from uh, some of your old posts that I've seen where you know you wanted us to go back to the Constitution to uh, to you know to, to I doubt that anarchist. I doubt that you I doubt you've ever seen that out of me. I've seen them when you shared them. So okay, there was one that I had a screenshot of. I was looking for it earlier, and this was probably back around 2012. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I was rather. Uh, I was rather bipolitical at the time instead of apolitical. Okay. I was bipolitical. I was going both ways at the time. Okay. Uh, no, leading up to the to the 2012 Ron Paul campaign, I regard Paul as a detour for myself. Mm, but okay. anyway, <laughs> it, um, I mean, I was on I was on my road to anarchy or bus, baby, and and it's. I I, I guess I kind of had a little bit of hope that this one person could do it, but here, here's right, the thing. Right. And I really hate the great man worship. Uh, the great man being the notion that there's this one person that comes along once in a generation. He's going to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That has these magical powers, has this knowledge that other humans can't know that has these capabilities of doing things that other humans are not capable of. And maybe he's human. Maybe he's not, maybe he's, just a great man in a human costume right 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 and that's where that's where the the great man theory and i refer to it as the great man fallacy comes from because you have mortal men built up into into these super human earthly god types yeah well they're the prophets of that religion they're the they're the ones that come for that epoch or that era to fix what went wrong and and you know to to then ascend into heaven when they're done so I started wondering, well, maybe this could happen. But here, here's the thing, and I'm going, I'm, I'm going to take a shot at these longtime anarcho-capitalists that they've been anarchists for a long time. They're, they're, they're almost the founding fathers of the modern anarcho-capitalist movement. Right. If Ron Paul is the solution, then the state isn't really as evil as they have made it out to be. Right. If he can fix it, it, it yeah. 
it, it's not this filthy wart-covered beast. It just means that for the past 10,000 years, all of humanity has been putting the wrong people in charge and hasn't been following the plan properly. Right, right. And if they would just stick to it. And again, that's the that's the fallacy of every status uh, philosophy is, you know, you just need to follow it right. Do it right and it'll work right. And 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 uh, and yeah. interpret it, interpret it right. Yeah. Right. Meaning how I personally believe it to be today, yeah. not tomorrow, because I don't agree with what I think tomorrow. Only in this very moment, if everyone would just do what I want them to do, it would work perfectly. Well, that's true of anything. That, that's, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and in all honesty, no, it wouldn't. It would not work perfectly. No, it would be it a would be, nightmare. Yeah. It would be a cluster bleep. Exactly, exactly. Because, and and I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Do you know why state socialism always winds up in um, death camps, starvation, bread lines, and all those different things, or some of those different things? Do you know why? Well, Margaret Thatcher told me it's because they run out of other people's money. Well, that's that's kind of part of it, and it, it... that's one of those slogans that does have some truth to <laughs> of it. Of course, of course. But it's it's the it's the cartoon version of a real answer. It's, right, right. My my first real episode on my show is going to be how stuff happens, and I'm also going to throw in why. And with why, it's going to be looking at the ultimate answer, the the root cause of something. Why does something work the way that it does? And if you if you go back through history in 1920, I believe it was. Ludwig von Mises has released some writings talking about the economic calculation problem as it applies to socialism. And in a nutshell, what it shows is that no person or central planning committee has the knowledge possible to be able to calculate what the needs are going to be of the population and how to plan the economy accordingly to meet all those needs, wants, and desires. And his student, F.A. Hayek, had followed it up later on with the knowledge problem or the pretense of knowledge. And what it shows is that between the two of them, you're looking at at, at different things. So you got the central planning committee that's supposed to plan the economy, but they're supposed to be responsive to the desires of the people. Right. Be, not not because they care what they think, but because they don't want to get dragged from their beds at night and hung, right, hung exactly. upside down yeah. and set on fire. Yeah, fear of the populace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because if you have enough starvation and they can get the jump on you, you're dead. And exactly, yeah. Be, being a dictator is is not really that big of a deal when you're dead. So if you have the if you have the the masses in an uproar over unemployment in a particular area that is a consideration that's going to be having an impact on the decision making of the central planning committee they're right. going to say oh gosh we have to do something about unemployment here so they're going to be reactionary right so when they say we have to do something about unemployment quick let's come up with something oh wait we don't have a market based demand so we're just going to make some we're stuff make it. Up. yeah 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 so in the, in the Urals, they're they're going to have a a uh, fish canning factory out out in the middle of nowhere, and the fish is going to be brought in from three or four time zones away to be canned because they need jobs out there and they need a fish cannery. Right, right, yeah, make work, yeah, busy yeah. work, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, there, there's a joke, and I, I've heard a number of people uh tell it milton freeman i believe has told it uh, american economist goes to china and he's going to look at a canal project 
So he's out there and he's looking around and he sees all these workers using hand tools. So shovels, hose, rakes, stuff like that. Right, and he, right. doesn't, he, he doesn't see any heavy machinery at all. No no backhoes, no front end loaders, no bulldozers, nothing. So he goes over to the Chinese delegation and says, hey, why aren't you guys using modern machinery? Why are they using, you know, hand tools, right. you know, stuff that you can get at Home Depot. Yep. And the Chinese delegation, they go and they confer, they have their little huddle, and they yell break, and one of them goes back and says, well, if we use modern machinery, then this project would be done so much quicker, and all these men's jobs would go away. Right. And the American economist says, oh, it's a jobs program. Well, heck, why not take away their shovels and give them spoons? Yep, yep, exactly. I love I love that story. I first heard it maybe I probably ten years ago now, and it was at a time when I was, you know, saying that government. This was I was like a neocon at this point, and I was saying, you know, government needed to, uh, you know, come up with, uh, you know, jobs program or or retraining programs because of the impact of automation on the American workforce. And I mean, just to show you how far along I was at that point. And uh, and someone shared that, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, no, I guess you're right. And then and then from there, I read about how you know automation and how innovation creates new opportunities that we can't even think about now, which create all new jobs. I mean, there there are more people employed now than ever before, and and it's not because of government; it's because of innovation. Uh, you know, our our life of subsistence, however many you know thousands of years ago, has now been replaced with a life that is very involved and has all sorts of different things going, and that we need people to to you know to be in, involved in each of those different things to be able to provide them to us. And that, that, that's, how, that's how innovation creates jobs, even as it makes them more efficient by requiring fewer people to do different things. Yeah, creative destruction where right. new technology destroys old technology. Exactly. But the thing is, the, the new technology opens the door. I, if you think about this, if, if you look at the history of humanity and i don't even know how long humans have been here uh it, it I, i'm pretty sure it's more than just a couple thousand years right and right, right. there actually there actually were dinosaurs and the earth is round um but it, we're gonna do um, a flat earth podcast by the way that, that's gonna happen but not today oh wow so anyway <laughs> let, let's say we have a couple hundred thousand years of u.s or u.s american or, human history human right, history right. my god so anyway we have a a couple hundred thousand years of human history. It is really only the past hundred years or so that the technology has been strong enough to where humans don't have to worry about dying because they got bit by an insect. Right. At least not on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some places in Africa that that they don't have DDT and in modern medicine that right, they have right. to worry about this. But here, here in the developed world, here in most of most of Earth, you don't have to worry about dying because you got bit by by an insect. You don't. You're not going to die because your leg was broken. Right. As a matter of right. fact, you'll as a matter of fact, you'll be running around again in in eight weeks. Right. Like nothing had happened. Yep. Yep. You don't have to worry about being picked up by a, by a flying animal and taken off and eaten for dinner. You know, you can, if you, if you can't see, you can put on glasses. I mean, the, yeah. you can, you can talk to people a thousand miles away. Like we're doing right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In, yep. in real time. So as, as far as, as far as the advancements have come along, it's really the only the last hundred years that you can say that humanity has been wealthy because yep. even, even if, even in, 500 years ago, if a king had a room full of pots of gold, what was he going to spend it on? Yep. Yep. 
he's gonna spend it on food or someone to protect his pots of gold pretty much yeah i mean he, he didn't have air conditioning yeah exactly exactly yeah i whenever i see those things where people are like those quizzes and people will say oh if you could go back in time to any time what time would it be and i'm like i don't i don't want to go back to the 80s like i i, I there's i don't really want to go back at all uh, you know i i um uh 50 years from now that's exactly. what that's exactly. why I want like, to I, I want to go to to a time forward where they can cure MS. That would be nice because I have MS. And uh, and but it's not so far forward that I'm completely foreign there and, and have no idea what's going on. But yeah, I I've never I've never been nostalgic about that. And and I certainly don't think that a government has any role, a legitimate role in protecting us from the future. <laughs> Space Force. Well, that's that is actually the backbone of conservatism. Uh, people have people have this notion that conservatism is about small, limited government. It's not. It never uh, has been. No. Th- th- this has never been the case. Going back to Hobbes and, and Edmund Burke, it's about creating a a, a giant Leviathan state. The, the the difference between conservatism and what's known as liberalism today is you got the mommy that that's supposed to nurture, and then the right. conservatives are the are the daddy, the daddy that's supposed that, to. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, you, yeah. he yep. comes home drunk in his, with his <laughs> wife beater. He pulls his belt off in one swoop without even latching it on the loops, and he starts whooping your butt for for disobedience. You ever you ever notice that most conservatives have a disobedience fetish that makes German shepherds look like feral cats? Which is crazy because all of their yes to answer your question, and you know, again, I was a conservatarian, liberty-leaning conservative, whatever you want to call it, and I, I kind of transitioned, you know, towards being a, a minarchist, but, you know, all of the, I mean, literally the Tea Party that came after, you know, initially in response to the the, the TARP bailouts from Bush and then and then went into overdrive when Obama got elected and, and the Democrats took, took or maintained, kept power in, in Congress, you know, the entire concept of the Tea Party is this rebellion against taxation and, and you know, rebellion against government, and the Second Amendment, and, you know, from these cold, dead hands and all that stuff. So it's all built around rebellion, but they don't, they don't take that logical conclusion about rebellion against whom exactly, because then they'll turn around and say, well, if David Hogg or Nancy Pelosi come to take my guns, they're going to have to take them from my cold, dead hands. And it's like, that's not who's coming. The police are coming. And, the, you know, the ones who's, who support the police bumper sticker you have on your car, that's who will come because it's their job. Nancy Pelosi is going to stay at home. And, and, and it, I've never, I, I, I've yet to have someone other than just cognitive dissonance explain why why I at one point was so into this, you know, rebellion against the state, but then would immediately turn around and say, you know, well, if you want to come here, go through the legal process. And if you get pulled over, just, uh, you know, just put your hands on the steering wheel and you won't have any trouble. And if you don't, then you deserve whatever happens to you. Not our heroes. When Nancy, <laughs> when Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats put on their body armor and go to kicking your door, <laughs> our police are going to arrest them and do exactly, their jobs. Exactly. Our army is going to stop them because that's yeah, not our our. Yeah. Our, our. Yeah. Exactly. A R E. Our our heroes. And 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 but no. And it's and it is a very and I, I think it was uh, Hayek who wrote the why I'm not a conservative or why I'm no longer a conservative. And he talked about pretty much what you're saying. Conservative conservativism. Uh, uh, traditionally, it was not about limiting government. It was about it's, stopping progress of any kind, including societal progress. It is to preserve the status quo. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was William F. Buckley. His his quote was, 
Uh, if we could, we would look in the face of history and and shout, stop! Yeah, we will go no further. Standing athwart history, yelling, stop! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the defense that they have for keeping things the way that they have always been is, well, is tried and true. Well, you don't know that it's tried and true. Mostly, it's a fear of change. Yeah. And quite frankly, they don't give a they don't give a, an opportunity to find out if the the new proposed idea is any better. But even more, and this is why I refer to them as progressive authoritarians, is they wish to use the force of the state to stop things. And now when I yeah. say progressive, I don't mean actual progress, like material progress, technological progress. I mean control freaks. Yeah, they want to progress. The state. They, yeah. they yeah. want to progress to their idealistic utopian version of statism. Yeah. Well, progressive in medical terms. So like MS is a progressive disease. And I think yes. that's fitting to call it that because it, it progresses along and, yeah. until, like, you know, until things get worse. And, and that's, that's, I've always liked that. I like that uh, when progressives use the term progressive because I'm like, oh, progressive. You mean like, you know, cancer, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like a disease that kills you slowly. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's but I, I, I don't understand that disconnect. And I'm, I'm sure there are people much smarter than me that have that have done the, the due diligence on on the disconnect between worshiping rebellion uh, and, and liberals do this, too. I mean, the, the, the left does this, too. They they you know, they have these they celebrate, you know, uh, you know, Che Guevara and all these revolutionary figures who, who immediately turn around and became dictators. Um, but then at the same time, they, they you know, it, it, the same way that governments want, you know, immigrants to wait in line, uh, 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 um, you know, uh, the left wants uh, patients to wait in line and, you know, wants all of us to wait in line for everything. Yeah. Well, when when the when the the right wingers say we're not opposed to immigration. We're opposed to illegal immigration. Illegal immigration they're, yeah. they're, they're just a mirror of the lefties that say we're not opposed to gun ownership. We're just opposed to illegal, illegal gun, gun ownership. ownership. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, but, but the thing is the conservatives agree are, are, are also opposed to illegal gun ownership because they want people to follow the law. They just want the laws to look a little bit different. So what right. it really comes down to and going back to, your comment earlier about people are saying, well, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court? Well, here's what's going to happen. People are not going to be waiting for a decision or opinion to show what the what the law really means. They're going to be hoping to get somebody that will confirm their belief system. Yep. So when people say that they want to they want a conservative interpretation of the Constitution or the, on the opposite, they say they want a liberal interpretation that's the whole thing it's an interpretation yeah. it's it it's a battle to see if if the if the creeps and the moomoos are going to agree with you on this yeah and it could it, it, you could literally take the constitution out of it and just have them decide how it should go and it would be the same thing it would be just people right. deciding which way the this this particular thing should go um the the uh the the rule of law is is sort of a a, a you know a uh, it's a mythological. Yeah. It's a mythological creature. The rule of law is the straw man for the rule of men and women. Yeah, the rule of whoever Un is in front of you most, saying the thing. Mostly yeah. unremarkable men and women. Right, people that couldn't make it in a real job. Um, so, uh, so the. Uh, By the way, do you do you find it at all? Interesting that the uh, that the Tea Party is named after a group that got angry at the government and then destroyed private property of corporations. The the original it's, Antifa. 
Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they were an offshoot of Colonial Lives Matter. <laughs> so that's, be, be, that's be, a funny because thing. Yeah, because good. because a black a black man did get killed by law enforcement, and there was a there was a lot of raising up about it. Well, there were five people that got killed by cops, and there, there was a lot of outrage over it, and and that eventually led to the uh, the looting and, and pillaging and destruction of of private corporate property. I never made that connection because uh, Crispus Attucks, right? Was yes, yeah, he died in the Boston in the uh, the uh, when was it? In, in he was killed in Boston, right? When in, during the protests. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if that was the shot heard around the world, or if that was the one, if that was the incident where John Adams had defended the British soldiers. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't recall now, but that's, yeah, I never made that connection, but yeah, it's, you get mad at something government did. Uh, and then you, you destroy private property as a result of it. Like when Antifa yes. uh, punches Nazi trash, trash cans and, uh, and, you know. or, or, or in Ferguson, there was complaining about the, about the people looting the, the stores and the, you know, like yeah. the Verizon store and all this sort of stuff. And and they're they're right to they're right to complain about that. But if you're if you're from a political party that gets its name from the same type of activity, then you're a hypocrite. Exactly. Yep. Every time this happens and I see this, I'm like, You're burning the wrong buildings. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I, we've touched on this, I think, a little bit, but I, I just wanted you to speak on, uh, uh, if you will, about, um, I, I find it funny, now that I'm not in the the partisan back and forth, it's very easy for me to just sit back and laugh at the, basically the every four or eight years, the switching sides between, you know, the left and the right, quote unquote, uh, you know, the different stripes of authoritarians. You know, uh, when Obama came into office, all of a sudden everyone was, uh, you know, movie, all, all of the ones that were over here saying, you know, you need to respect our government and, and, you know, went over to here and said, you know, we need to rebel and, you know, cold dead hands and all of that stuff. And then and then the, the people that were on the left, you know, were now saying, uh, you know, oh, oh, we have to respect this government and, and the office of the president under Obama. And then, they, you know, both sides immediately switched places once it was now Trump. Even though largely, I'd say at least 98%, they're doing the same thing anyway. There's some window dressing changes they make, but for the most part, they're still running up debt that they presume for us to be forced to pay for. They're still, you know, murdering people in countries all over the world. They're still murdering people here. They're still, you know, uh, uh, you know, removing people from the country because they didn't, you know, pay their duties or, you know, fill out the right document. They're still kidnapping people for, you know, selling substances or or whatever else. So, you know, it, it, you know, talk, talk to me about the, the you know, the, the hypocrisy and the hilarity of that. It's like in the book 1984, when the banner dropped, they paused for a moment and then shouted, we've always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> it is the. There have to be. Men and women wearing lab coats, holding clipboards, writing stuff down as they watch this. The cognitive dissonance and the just insanity that goes along with it. The right. the, the the tribal mentality of you know our party right or wrong. Well, right. if you if you say stuff like that, then you probably don't realize that there's a difference between right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. And these people do not hate tyranny. They do not hate big government. They do not ha hate small government. They they hate each other. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
they these are the people that will destroy their own liberty to take the liberty of another right and mm-hmm. they are so consumed with hatred that they they will self destruct i mean these are the these are the the suicide bombers of ideology yeah yeah except they're they're using government as a proxy for their hatred um, yes. rather than yes. doing it themselves Government is their bomb vest, and they're pounding the living daylights out of the trigger button. Right, right, right. Well, that's every what, time they vote. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, as a matter, as a matter of fact, when you vote and you put your ballot in the box, you should just shout "fire in the hole." Yeah, I saw you. Had, you had said that. I usually just draw on it with crayons, but they they don't accept it anymore. But I, I don't um, even show up. <laughs> um, the uh, um. I noticed a lot of people, so the people that are protesting these, you know, extrajudicial killings, you know, police killings of uh, a lot of times of, of black people, and, and their response will be, they'll see an example of a white person not being killed by the police, and they'll get upset about that, and, and they'll say, well, why didn't they get killed too, basically? And I get what their point is, is that, you know, it, you know the, their theory or, or what they're trying to say is that, you know, if it had been a black person... Uh, you know that they would have, what they would have, possibly been treated worse, or or been more likely to have been treated worse, or whatever. But the fact that they went to the other place of saying, well, it's not. They're not saying don't harm me. They're saying we'll harm that guy too, the same way right, you would harm right, me. Right. And it, it, like you said, it's a hatred thing. It's it's not about freedom. It's not about fairness, or or or, or I, I guess it's a a form of equity, but it's an equity of of I want that person to be hurt. I'm not it's necessarily an, sure what happened. It's equity of misery. Yeah, equity of misery. Exactly. Yes, it's 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 Schadenfreude. Yes. I mean, plain and simple. That is taking joy in other people's suffering. Right. It's the 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 people that say, uh, and the, the the terrorist argument is a is a prime example. Rather than saying there should that there should be no tariffs, they say that there should be terrorists for everybody everybody should have to suffer equally right and the idea that nobody suffers is just absolutely not a possibility it's Bastiat wrote about this in the law i believe it was where he says uh, there are three ways to order order society the few plunder the many the many plunder the few or nobody plunders everybody right 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 and you can You'll get arguments for the first two, but when you when you start talking about nobody plundering anybody, that's when you've crossed that Overton window. That's when you've gone outside of the allowable, respectable opinion, and you're a bleeping lunatic. That's for crazy. It. That could never happen. And, and when I say, "Well, wh- why could that never happen?" and they'll say, "Well, that side will never let that happen." Okay, well then, why do you want to be in forced association with that side then? Because at least in that other scenario, that side would have to actually, on their own, fight you for to control you. The situation you're advocating for, and uh, not you, the person I'm, the hypothetical person I'm. I, under, I understand the, 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 the linguistics of this. Yeah, the, the 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 system they're advocating for. Those people that they don't trust that are trying to control them are able to do it using, you know, just by you know writing on a sheet of paper and putting it in a box. And uh, I, I, I've never gotten that disconnect. But like you said, it's an Overton window thing. It's, it's yeah. about perception of what's what's sane. Well, it, it's also and I'm, I'm going to go back to the tariff issue. It's yep. also the, the tribalism of, well, my guy said this. Right. The, right. It's, it's the great man worship. So for the Republicans or the conservatives, Trump is their current great man. Right. Right. And when he starts talking about tariffs, a few will deviate and, and they will be snapped at by the by the other slaves on the plantation. Yep. Yep. You know, before before the overseer even gets to them, the the other slaves on the plantation will snap at them. So you. you 
you best act right, otherwise masks are going to get us. Right, exactly. Like they're going to they're going to hurt he, us if you don't shut up. Yeah, he's he's going to hurt us all if you don't shut right, up. Right, right. And what you're looking at is they will come up with all these justifications. So they will say, they will use the argument with the tariffs that we are losing money from it. No, you're not losing money from it because you're not selling anything over there. Okay. Um, going, going back to the basics of trade, America does not trade with China or any other country. No. Buyers and sellers trade with each other. Yep. You know, so so it's kind of like the old peanut butter cup commercials where you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. You, no, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. Right, right, well, right. You, you got your nationalism and my economics. Get exactly. it the hell out of there. Yep, exactly. It doesn't belong there. Go. Yep. Gone. Yeah. yeah. America's not trading with China. I'm buying something from Walmart who bought something from a supplier who is using, you know, a, 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 a you know, using a, a distributor that's used that's you know distributing from a, a manufacturer in in China it's not it there is not there's a bunch of voluntary interactions that have happened that yes. government is only making worse they're not they're not helping in any way nobody says that people in Illinois trade with people in Wisconsin right 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 they just they just refer to that as commerce well I've said that to someone uh, that uh, lives uh, around here in the same county as me and I said okay you're talking about America first why not Ori County first? Like why, you know, why are we allowing those idiots in Marion County or those, those jerks in, you know, North Carolina across that border? Why are we allowing them to take all of our jobs? And, you know, obviously, you know, they, they fall back into the, into nationalism about these are our people and stuff. And it's like, okay, these are your people. Is Nancy Pelosi your people? Are the, you know, the Black Lives Matters protesters, are those your people that you want to use, you know, force to protect? Do you want to pay taxes uh, on, on products to make sure that a Black Lives prote- Black Lives Matter protester keeps their job. Like, talk to me about our people when you are constantly talking about how you hate our people, uh, if if that's what they are. So it's again, it's cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So and and also, I live on a on a state border. I mean, I'm like five. T- no, I'm about ten to fifteen minutes after since I moved. Right. But anyway, um, the. The, the different laws and taxes and all this other stuff, and particularly when you're doing anything business-related as, as a business, and I'm, not, I'm not just talking about engaging in commerce, but as a business person, when, you, when you're dealing with crossing state lines and all this other stuff, it's like, Jesus Christ, it's, it's a river, not a demilitarized zone. Why all this craziness that goes along with it? Right, right, exactly, exactly. And yeah, because with a lot of states, the, the state line is a river. Yeah. You know, the Mississippi River is a dividing line between a, a lot of different states. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big giant line too. Yeah. You, could probably fit, you could probably fit a couple states in the Mississippi River. But anyway, yeah. uh, so I, you're like, why does this have to be so complicated? Why do we have to deal with all this nonsense here and there? But anyway, so with, with the, with the tariff things, what happens is they're, they're making in, in the, the the quest to protect the domestic producers oh and by the way they're 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 not really protecting domestic producers they're just sticking it to the politically unconnected foreign producers but what they do is because they are unable to make the domestic producers more competitive they artificially make the foreign competitors less competitive right exactly so nothing has been made cheaper for the consumer 
no no special capabilities have been granted to the domestic producers. It's just the foreign producers have been made artificially less competitive. So it's kind of like in Harrison Bergeron where the strong had to wear had to carry extra weights around with them and the smarter had to have the radio boxes on their head to keep them from having coherent thoughts right. so that so that the the smarter and stronger would be as weak and dumb as the as the lower end of the spectrum. Right, right. And in doing so they're they're harming they're actually harming jobs. So the example I give yes. is if if uh, if a, a, an American produced widget uh, costs let's say twenty five dollars, and you can get a foreign produced widget for ten dollars, so it's a big price difference. And so the government steps in and says, okay, we're putting a fifteen dollar uh, uh, or sixteen dollar uh, tar- uh, tariff on any uh, widgets that are brought in from foreign countries. So now the American produced widget is still twenty five dollars, but the foreign widget is twenty six dollars. That's not helping American widget producers. That's just making their widget, their widget still the same price. They're just making the foreign ones more expensive. And in doing so, here's what also happens. If I am a, if I have a gadget producing company and I make gadgets and I have to have widgets to make my gadgets, I can, I now have one of two choices. Either now the price of my gadgets just went up uh, relative to the, the price of gadgets from, you know, people that make their gadgets outside of the U.S., uh, or I move my production base of production to a country where I can still get widgets for $10 to, to, to make my gadgets. And so we're even seeing that. We're seeing, uh, uh, you know, Harley Davidson is, is talking about moving and other companies that, you know, because of these American and steel uh, tariffs are, are moving or at least not increasing their, their base of production in the U.S. in direct response to these uh, uh, steel and aluminum tariffs. Which is weird mm-hmm. because I was specifically told that this was going to help American jobs, and yet that's not happening. I have a friend that is a uh, chemical engineer. He owns a, a chemical company, and he has had to jump through so many hoops and change things around. And he he he's not Dow Chemical. He's right. He's he's a small family-owned company, and for him. This is this is really rough on him, yeah. and he's had to make great changes to to keep from skyrocketing his prices. But here's here's the big thing that people don't understand. Um, and and let's, let's let's say that the foreign the foreign price one actually goes up to thirty dollars instead of twenty five dollars, right, or right, instead, right, instead right. of twenty six. Right. The domestic producer no longer has an incentive to be competitive right. and can take his up to twenty nine. Yep, yep. Which is usually what happens. Yeah. So what is so what has really happened is that through this economic affirmative action program, yep. the strong have been made weak and the weak have remained weak. And get weaker. Yes. And and then of course the 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 uh chumps for Trump, the uh the Trumpster fire dipsticks will go through all sorts of mental gymnastics to justify this and they'll say, Well, he's a businessman. You know, he's he's using this as as a way to get them to drop their tariffs you know this is just a bargaining chip and it's really amazing how much the pawns love being in a game of 3d chess oh of course well yeah it's 3d chess that never actually ends it just keeps you know progressing um and 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 you know what happens to pawns right they get sacrificed of course of course and the thing is if your goal if if we all agree that tariffs are bad then why not just get rid of them why would I say to you, if you and I are, it would be like you and, and, and me negotiating and I say, okay, look, I'm going to stop punching myself in the face 
but only if you stop punching yourself in the face, Lou. And you go, no, I'm not going to stop punching myself in the face until you do. And I go, well, that's screw that. I'm going to keep punching myself in the face. I'm not a loser. And, and, you know, I'm winning this negotiation. It's the same thing. If tariffs primarily, if we agree, then tariffs primarily hurt the consumer and hurt us more so than they hurt anyone else, then what would be the point of negotiating with the other side to change theirs? Let them figure it out. You know, why wouldn't, if we agree that, you know, trade is good with it. Because little, MAGA. Well, of course, yeah, because yeah, he's, a, he's a businessman. He's a bit, and I like to say, well, okay, well, George Soros is a businessman and he's actually worth more than Trump. So I guess we should listen <laughs> to him. <laughs> so um, here's, here's where the ultimate root of that comes from. They, these people, if you listen to them, and you just give them the rope to hang themselves. They will out themselves oh, yeah. as the socialists that they are. Of course. Because what they're going to say, what they're going to, their goal is, okay, we trade one of ours and we get one of theirs. They trade one of theirs they and we get one of ours. Yeah. Well, that's a zero-sum game. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if you look at exchange, if, if you look at exchange between two people, uh, let's say – Let's go to Liberty Fest when, where I was uh, selling dinners. I was selling a porchetta dinner for fifteen dollars, mm-hmm. and that came with a vegetable and then a, then a salad bar. So obviously, I wanted the fifteen dollars more than I wanted the food. And the people that purchased the dinner from me, wanted they wanted the food more than they wanted the fifteen dollars. So it's a mutually beneficial transaction. Both sides feel that they are better off for. Or at least at the time of the sale, somebody might decide that, oh, my gosh, I'm Jewish or Muslim. I can't eat pork can't anymore pork. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right, at, right after they get done eating you know, or right before they eat. I, I would recommend that, that the conversion happen after you eat my food. But <laughs> so but anyway, um, people determine that it's it's to their benefit to engage in this transaction. They don't need a middleman to tell them, no, they can't. Right. And. If you look at it, and particularly out of the socialist ideology, the Marxist, the person, even though both sides feel that they are better off, the person that received the money, not the person that received the actual goods, but the person that received the Federal Reserve notes, is always considered to be the one that won out on the on the transaction. It, is the seller has screwed the buyer right. and, and, and these right-wing socialists, they buy into that nonsense because they, they worry about the profits going everywhere else because they have their nationalism and their economics. Yep. They're thinking with their flags and not their brains. Yep. And they don't understand that, okay, it's a two-way transaction. Yeah, the money went there, but the goods came here. And I remember I was standing in line in a Walmart and there was this little skinny guy, you know, skinny like a crackhead skinny, but he, he wasn't a crackhead because, well, he, he wasn't all gimped out like a crackhead. But he's in Walmart, and he's, and he's got his arms. He's got these bags in his arms. And he's a little skinny guy. The the, the stuff in, in his bags darn near pulled him over from one side to the other. And he almost fell over because of all the stuff he had in his hands. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Walmart got all my money. You know, but I never, I never heard a cashier saying – Man, all these people coming in here taking all of our crap. Yeah, taking our yeah. taking our pots that, and pans. Yeah, exactly. They, they got all of our stuff. They got all they got all of our vegetables. They got all of our pots and pans. They got all of our tents and camping gear. And all we have are these worthless green paper rectangles. Exactly. Yeah, it's the, it's you know, the fallacy of the trade imbalance. Yeah. 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 Nope. Yeah. Nobody ever ever says that. They always view the seller as the one that won in in the in the competition but it's not a competition because you don't have a winner and a loser in a transaction you have uh both sides are winners i got all of the stuff that i wanted 
with, with the, the only times that I have. And I only had to go to one place. Yeah. The only times that I've spent money that I can think of offhand that I've spent money and not gotten essentially what I wanted is from government. If I'm paying taxes or a fee or a license or, you know, any of those things, Uh, even if I complained about it, like, for example, uh, you know, if I'm complaining that I'm having to pay a mortgage or an HOA fee, uh, I'm still getting something in exchange for it. I, I may not like that I'm having to do it on a regular basis. I may become resentful of it. But the reality is, if I didn't have that that mortgage, uh, I wouldn't own the home that I'm in. I wouldn't have that home to live in. I'd be paying rent to someone, which I could also be bitter about. But like you said, it's still a voluntary transaction where someone is paying someone something for for something that they got in exchange. So it, it you know, go ahead. Or you might be living in a makeshift shelter because nobody's building buildings because they can't make money off well, of exactly, it. Well, exactly. Yeah. If there were, if there was no scheme in in, in which you could exchange, uh, you know, the, the the fruits of your labor for for housing, no one would build housing. And that that's which I mean, I want to I, I will I will have a, an entire episode where we get into libertarian socialism and the whole rent is theft thing. Uh, because oh, you mean banana octopus, banana octopusism. Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah. where, you know, the, you know, I want us to be free. You can't, you can't let people, uh, you know, uh, be in your home and expect them to pay you with that's sort of like being free, I guess. But yeah, I'm going to do a whole show about, uh, about that. But, um, yeah, I so might I'm not listen, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And it's, it's just, it's the busybodyism of conservatism, which is a mirror image of the busybodyism of liberalism. Yep. And they can't leave other people alone. Yeah. In in the in the case of the tariffs, they are worried that the wrong person is making the profit. Right. Just as the socialists are. Yep. The socialists want worker owned co ops. Well the the or the left-wing socialists, the right-wing socialists want American-owned corporations. Yep, yep. And it's ultimately yeah. the same thing. You've got two sides and, that are both saying, uh, you know, you've got the left saying, don't harm me, harm them. And then the right is saying, no, don't harm me, harm them. And then in a in a, in a uh, uh, inspiring show of bipartisanship, government decides to harm everyone. Yeah. Do what you want to the women and children, but leave me alone. Leave me alone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got the evil party and the stupid party. Sometimes they get together and do something both evil and stupid. And yeah. That's called bipartisanship. Exactly. Exactly. So. so, yeah. But going back to the Supreme Court, what am I going to do when when they offer their opinion? Ignore it. I don't care. You know, do you know why the Soviet Union lasts as long as it did? No. The only reason that the Soviet Union lasted as long as it did was because of black and gray markets. The reason that the Soviet Union existed as long as it did was because there were people smart enough to realize that state socialism is not a viable way of doing things, mm. and it will lead to death and starvation. Because people were incentivized with survival, survival and also – yeah. Yeah, they they wanted to survive, but they also wanted to be comfortable because that right. is one of the human things. and. Yeah, the Puritans, which the modern conservatives and early liberals are descended from, the the uh, the Puritans think that you're supposed to suffer nobly. Well, these people were not going to suffer nobly. They they wanted to enjoy the material gains and benefits that early socialism or the early Soviet Union promised everybody. It, right, it's, right, it's really right. amazing. The the socialists promised the 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 bountiful cornucopia, the the great feast. For everybody, and then when they realized that that couldn't happen, that's when the tune changed, and they quit talking about it, and they 
and they adapt struggling yeah the workers yeah. struggle yeah well yep. well they adapt to the nobility of doing with less and yep. the, the nobility of suffering yep 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 well and so, you see it with the left now um it, what's the joke uh gay space luxury communism or whatever where they're like you know they say oh you know communism if, if we if if we if we had communism you know the the level of luxury that we'd be that we'd have you know you can't even imagine it's like this is what the leninists said this is what the you know, this is yeah. this is the exact same thing that the the Marxists were saying as they were overthrowing the uh, the Russian crown and and you know shortly after Stalin got in it, it it or maybe just before it became well no you know we we you know we need less and 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 you know that that's all bourgeoisie capitalist stuff you know this this whole wanting to have better things um, so but and that's the same thing yeah. that happens here yeah socialism always boasts about the about the equal wealth and, and, and the great amount of wealth. And it always results in the equal shortages. Well, equal for some, right? Uh, because the, the party folks are, as far as the animals on the farm go, they're more equal than the proletariat. Of course, of course. Well, a mass grave is equal. They're all dead, right? So yeah. that's... <laughs> yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I saw a meme not too long ago, and, and it, there was a Twitter response to it. And it, I think it said that, like the top four richest people control $426 billion worth of wealth or something like that. And that's the reason why everybody else is poor. Right. And somebody came along and says, well, if you, if you uh, divided that up amongst the poorest 4 billion people on the planet, they'd each have $126. Right. Right. That's not, and, that's not going to change. Yeah. And they wouldn't have and, Amazon or Facebook or Microsoft yeah. or any. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. P people aren't poor because other people are rich. No. No. And that is something that both the left and right need to get past. And this goes back to the whole tariff thing. But anyway, going back to the Soviet Union, the government, even into the 80s or in the 80s, had to publicly acknowledge that at least 20 percent of their economy was verifiably in the black and gray market. Right, right, right. And and had it not been for the black and gray markets, the Soviet Union would have. I don't think they admitted this, but the Soviet Union would have collapsed probably Even pretty sooner. early on because you would have had mass starvation. You would have had just people freaking out and rebelling and and the Bolsheviks would have had done to them what they did to to the previous regime. Right, right. Well, and to the Ukrainians. I mean, that was that was what happened yeah. to the, the Holodomor or however you pronounce that, where the farmers were rebelling. And Holodomor, saying, I think it was. Oh, yeah, Holodomor, yeah. however you say that. Which made the Holocaust look like a joke. Um, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, and and that's certainly not saying anything about. I mean, the Holocaust was obviously devastating, but the number of people killed in the Ukraine dwarfs that, and and it was over a, a shorter period of time as well. Um, there, and, and it was entirely you know rebelling farmers that were starved to death. There was a story, and I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the wording a little bit wrong, but I'm going to get the the gist of it. Right. When discussing. And this was like at the the height of the starvation, I think it was, because in, what happened was Ukraine was the European breadbasket. That's right. where the that's where the grain production was. That's that was the food production capital of the Soviet Union. Yep. Yep. So there's absolutely no reason that there should be starvation there. Exactly. So what so what had happened was the food that was being produced was being confiscated by the by the Soviets. Right, right. So Stalin had ordered all the food to be taken out of there and people were forced into starvation. So whatever they couldn't steal from the from the state farms and everything else 
was getting was getting grabbed up and taken away. Right. I, these people did not have enough to subsist. Their choices were to be good people or cannibals. Yep. Yeah. And yes, the cannibalism run ran rampant. And I remember hearing about a uh, about a letter where somebody s- says, you know, that there's good people and there's cannibals. Yep. Yep. I regret to tell you that I'm no longer a good person. Right. Could you imagine being in a situation where your very survival depended upon eating your family members? No. no. For those of you out there listening, I w- I want you to take more than just a cursory second to think about that. Look at your family members and think, how would you feel knowing that the only way that you're going to survive is to eat them or yep. your neighbors? Yeah. And, and just imagine the the mental anguish and strain that's put upon you watching your friends, neighbors, and family members dying of starvation right in front of you. Right, this is more than just watching Merlin Olsen on one of the Feed the Children commercials. Right. We're, we're talking, you know, hardcore right in your face, and your choices are you can die or you can do the unthinkable. Yep, yep. Or if you're being selfless and care more about your family, they have to eat you to survive. Like, I mean, someone's eating someone to survive, and it's entirely because of, of uh, you know, uh, 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 an oppressive monopoly that is, is forcing you to not be able to engage in voluntary transaction. Yeah. So what wind up happening is because the system was not designed to provide this bountiful feast that was promised and then they changed the promise to well we're going to we're going to starve nobly people didn't want to starve right so what they started doing was they started going outside of the system and it was called creeping capitalism yep. and just like the american conservative conservatives with their war on drugs they they ignored the fact that eating and and certain luxury items are are a market demand right and so they imposed the economic de- or they e- imposed the death penalty for these economic crimes of private ownership of property, yep. buying and selling without the government being involved. And we're not just talking; we're talking about a little bit more than just having a permit. But and essentially, that's what it's, it comes down to. It's the same argument. To. It's the same logical yeah. argument that you need government yeah. permission to you know to want to have to to want to fulfill your needs. Yeah. Yeah. So in the hospitals. There was often no medication, and by no medication, I'm including aspirin, but I'm also talking about the prescription drugs. In the Soviet Union, you would not be able to get your medication for your MS, at least not not through the system. So you would have to go to the black market, and and the doctors and the nurses and the pharmacists would tell you, you have to go to the black market. Here's a guy that might be able to help you. Right, and and taking it even further, if... If there weren't places that still had at least some capitalism, drugs for MS wouldn't even exist in the first place. I mean, the the, right. the profit motive, the reason that there even is the drug that I take for MS is because it costs. They're charging the insurance companies eighteen grand a pop to to you know each month to give it to me. And uh, if it weren't for that profit motive, they wouldn't have spent the billions of dollars and and you know gone through all of the years of of case studies and 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 double blind have, and triple blind listened- trials and everything else. Have you listened to my interview with Mary Ruart? It's episode one of the Lou Sander show. I, I have not. I, I, I got your second one. I did not get your first one. She talks about, because she worked for Upjohn for 19 years as a research scientist, and she talks about what regulations have done. She has a book out called Death by Regulation, mm. and it talks about why the price of medications is so god-awfully high oh, yeah, and inflated. Yeah. yeah. So 
with without those interventions there, mostly protectionist on behalf of the established pharmaceutical companies, the the price of of medications would be a heck of oh, a lot course, lower, and course. they get to market a lot quicker. Right, right, right. But the, but the thing is, with 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 these restrictions that they had in the Soviet Union, you know, you just couldn't get the stuff. It didn't, it exist. didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So the, the black and gray markets were were basic staple items like food, medication, right, all these different things. You know, basic survival stuff. Yeah. Uh, then also you had West German appliances, televisions, radio, stuff like that, uh, clothing. Levi Strauss did a hundred million times more to bring down the Berlin Wall and end and, and the Cold War than Ronald Reagan and every other politician or soldier ever dreamt of. Right, 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 because they, they wanted those things, yeah. Yes, the, the, the demand for what they perceived to be freedom became greater than the, the demand to be tyrannized. Right. Now, so to, to kind of cl- close out, and, I, and I, I agree with all of that, to kind of close out our, our interview, especially since it's the 4th of July, I get asked this a lot when I, when, I, when I get someone into a logical and rhetorical corner where they can't find a way to justify the state anymore. And, uh, and so their response usually, if they aren't at that point just calling me a, you know, a, a libtard or a, you know, America hater or, you know, you I, hate I, America. You hate America. And oh, well, then you must have, or, or, or saying, oh, well, then you must want, you know, since you don't want there to be a government, you, oh, you, must mean, want, you mean the false dichotomy? Yeah, you must want babies to be raped or something like you know whatever thing they think I must want. Apparently, if they don't do that, and if they're if they're just you know I guess maybe in the next step of it, you know they'll say, well, how are you going to get your precious ANCAP society that you want? And um, honestly, my response is usually that you know it, it takes it's going to take people understanding that they don't need this government. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, what do you see as, and not a, a necessarily, you know, brass tack steps of what would need to happen, but what are you, what do you think are the things that would need to actually happen in order for us to truly not just have a smaller government, but as a society to, to transition away from, from having government? I was hoping you would ask that question. And... <laughs> I'm going to throw something out here, and it's really going to mess up a lot of people. We are never going to be free. Okay. We are never going to have liberty. You are going to be free and have liberty. I am going to be free and have liberty, but we are never going to be free and have liberty. And what that means is people have this idea that it's liberty is a collective thing. Freedom is collective. No. Granted, in many cases, and particularly politically, our liberty and freedom are intertwined with one another, as, as Frederick Douglass yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as, as Frederick Douglass had said, you cannot put a leash around your neighbor's ankle without finding the other end attached to your neck. Right, That's for right. campaign for a longer leash. So it's a play on Frederick Douglass. Um, with with the political thing, people have this idea, and and this is something that I that I really hate about the true believers of the Libertarian Party, and, and I include the the anarchists that are involved in the Liberty, Libertarian Party that think that the LP and and getting the right people in charge and and centrally planning the deconstruction of of the state is going to bring freedom to one another. It's not going to happen. 
because plain and simple, th- these same people that you and I have been making jokes about for most of the show, right. there's there's a lot more of them out there than us. Exactly. So, exactly. So if you wait upon everybody else accepting freedom and liberty as their way of life, right. Before you can have yours, it's it, it, it's like the well. I'll stop punching myself in the face if you stop punching yourself in the face. Exactly. That is a perfect analogy for it. It's not going to happen. Right. So I go back. So I go back to your question. Uh, well, what about the Supreme Court? Well, the only way, and this is a, a quote from Albert Camus or Albert Camus. I, I think I think he's French. Uh, the only the only way to live or in an unfree world. You mu- you must live so freely that your very existence is an act, act of rebellion. rebellion. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I I know I butchered that, but you get the idea of it. Right, right, right. So it's really, and this is interesting because if you if you ever you know uh, read or, or listen to anything about uh, you know toxic relationships, it's pretty much everything you just said that you know toxic relationships are codependent. I can't do something unless you do it too. Uh, you have to do this because I'm doing it. And that, you mm-hmm. know, in order to get people out of toxic relationships, a lot of times you have to actually work with them on their, their cognitive behaviors, the fact that they tie themselves so much to this other person or these other people that they aren't even the idea of them thinking for themselves is completely foreign. And so you have to really get down to the brass tacks of like, for example, you know, uh, saying I'm responsible for my actions, I'm not responsible for other people's actions, and I'm not responsible for their reaction to my react to, to my actions. And so it sounds like it's very similar to what you're saying in the same way that, you know, the only way that uh, I, I can't control if my neighbor has a bad marriage, um, I, I can give my I can tell them, hey, look, I don't, I don't think this guy this is working out for you guys. And, and maybe you want to consider you know, taking a break or something. But if they don't do it, that doesn't mean, and I, I love my marriage, but if I were also in a bad marriage, I can't say, well, wait a second, I can't get out of my marriage. Those folks over there are are, are staying in their marriage and we all have to stay in our bad marriages. I, I have to make choices for myself regardless of what they're doing. And so that's sort of what you're saying, that, that um, even though uh, not having the fact that we don't live in a libertarian free society means that those people can harm us, there's not a lot that you and I as individuals can do about that other than to live as free as we possibly can. Yes. As an example, when, when somebody says that's illegal, I'm like, so <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. You know, if, if you look at the history of what has been legal and what has been illegal, that's certainly not a, a very at all. A, a strong, good argument. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a strong argument for the, for the good and bad of legality. Right. And, so. and, and I love, cause I'll, I'll bring up, I'll say, well, name every major atrocity. It was, Ill- it was legal and resisting. It was illegal. And they'll go, are you trying to compare what I'm talking about to the Holocaust? And I'll say, not yes. Well, see, Ed, see, I'm nicer than you. Cause I'll say, no, I'm comparing the same. The, I'm comparing no the appeal to legality, but it logically, no, it is this, it, any, any appeal to it's written on a sheet of paper. So you have to do it is the same as any other appeal. Yeah. Well, the, the comparison between the massacre of the Indians here in America and the massacre of the Jews, the gypsies, the homosexuals and Jehovah's witnesses in, in Nazi Germany, right. it's, it's, it's oh, not absolutely. a difference. Yeah. It's not a difference in kind. It's a difference in degree. Yep, yep. yep. It's it's the same act. The, the only question, the only thing in debate is the numbers. Right, right, exactly. So the belief that that Hitler was worse, and, and you know what, Stalin and Mao killed an awful lot more people than Hitler ever Way dreamed of. More people than Hitler. Yeah. 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 I mean, Hitler Hitler was like malaria, where those those guys were like, you know, super cancer. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the so the thing is. 
we live in an unfree world, plain and simple. Granted, you can wave your flag and, and follow all the rules and get all your licenses and permits and believe that you're free. You're right. not. Right. It's an unfree world. And because it's an unfree world, you can never be totally free. What you can do is you can grab a little freedom where you can get what you can when you can when you can. Yeah. Some, sometimes you have to steal that freedom from your oppressor. And for steal and, it. and and just to clarify for because I know I, I'm going to have people that that aren't getting what you're saying. You're not saying to steal from people. You're saying to steal your freedom back from people that are assuming authority over. Yeah. You. Okay. And I, and I know I know you know that, but I can already hear. But he said to steal. That's not what you said. Well, you, you, well, you, yeah. You're, you, you're taking back what is rightfully yours. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. and you could call. I guess stealing is a bit of semantics. No, but no, no. And, and it is. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking. They've taken it from you, and so you're taking it back from them. Every time that you get an opportunity to live freely and to do something outside of that system, do it. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. You know, it just like the just like the uh, the the Soviets with. If they wanted to eat, oftentimes they had to go through black markets. Okay, we're fortunate here. We don't have to go to that extreme. Yep. But think about this. When you go to a – when you buy food from your neighbor, you know, like I live in a rural area. So I only buy eggs at the at the store when I need to. Like, you know, when I need to get a bunch of them. Like I bought some before Liberty Fest. Right. Because I serve breakfast down there, yeah. I, I I had almost enough from the guy that I work with that raises chickens and and produces eggs to where I didn't have to go to the store to buy too many of them. I bought extras just in case. Oh wow! So the thing is, he's not licensed. None of that money goes into taxes. I pay less for a superior product than I would pay at the store for an inferior product. Yep. Yep. Nobody gets harmed. And and there's, there's a million and one ways that you can live outside the system. Now I'm not saying that people should take the vow of poverty and not go to stores or anything like that. No. And that, that that's kind of crazy, but every opportunity that you have to step outside of the matrix and be free, take it. Yeah. And that's going to lead me into Liberty Fest because that is a, Little slice of freedom. The Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. We just had it not too long ago. Mm -hmm. It was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it's really an amazing time. So what you see on the on the schedule is we had speakers like Scott Horton from AntiWar.com that came out there, and I don't know how much you know about him or your listeners, but this guy is a supercomputer of knowledge on militarism, intervention, terrorism, and just all the stuff that has to do with the American empire for the last century or so. He has a book out called fool's errand time to end the war in Afghanistan. And I can't wait to, to dig into it because it, it covers a lot of the intervention in the middle East and what led up to the nine 11 attacks right, and what has right. happened since then. Yep. And this, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. Now for the conservative, neoconservative, you know, they hate us for our freedoms hate type us for our freedom. They're going to hate this book because it's going to contradict every false belief that they have. The 2002 me is going to hate this book. Yes, but, 28, <laughs> but 2018 you is going to learn something. Exactly, exactly. So, And, and I, I'm a veteran. I, I did nine years in the Army. I did part of it was active duty and then part of it was reserves. And I am a recovering neocon. And my my conversion from being a warmonger it, it, it's crazy 
being a, a neocon and having been in the military, because usually those two don't go yeah, hand I, in hand you together. You don't see a lot of neocons in, from the army, no. They yeah. usually come out fairly libertarian leaning a lot of the time. Yeah, but well, it, it's very easy to to tell the, on the on the Facebook keyboard warriors who's actually who's done actual military time and and who's just veterans of the meme war. Yeah, uh, the, the language that they use because they're more status about the military than actual military people exactly, are. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so you got Scott Horton there, and then also you got Dana Martin who was there to talk about unschooling, peaceful parenting, things like that. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, on the Midwest Peace of Liberty Fest YouTube page, I'll shoot you a link to that. That we're putting up videos of the presentations from there. But anyway, so you got Dana Martin there. Now, if you're concerned with your children learning and and getting a better education than they can get in the government indoctrination gulags, and you're concerned, you're, you're, you're curious about how to do this, you know, I have friends that are single parents that work professional career type positions, and they unschool their children, and their children are well-balanced, they have social skills, they have all these things going for them and they don't have any of the, I don't want to say behavior. I want to say attitude garbage that you get out of kids from the government schools. Right, right, right. They're, they're happier. They're better balanced. They're definitely more intelligent and mature. And we're, we're talking about people from all different locations and in walks of life and, and different origins and everything else. So you can't just say, Oh, well, that's just, you know, that that's just because of that group in that particular area there. No, this, these are people from all over the place. And quite frankly, I do believe that what is going to advance libertarianism, anarchism, voluntarism is providing a generation, the next generation, the, the following generations that are going to reject the state and take it further than the minds of those that came before them. Right, right. The ideas are going to are going to continue, but they're also going to expand and improve. You know, people talk about Rothbard. Yeah, Rothbard brought up a lot of really good things, but you know what? He didn't. He didn't get everything right, and he also didn't answer a whole lot of stuff. Of course. I mean, Rothbard died in 1993. So if if you if you're reading about Rothbard's advice on how to get a direct action group together, you're going to be reading about phone trees and everything else. Right, exactly. Well, you're not going to get tre- social media advice. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah phone trees have been, have been replaced with, with, with group text messaging. Right. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna be talking about, you know, sending out faxes to, to each other. Right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway, by raising a generation, future generations of children that are smarter than the status and, and definitely more well-balanced. Cause I, me personally, I, I, I look at, maybe this is me just getting older, but I look at the de-evolution of, of American society to this, to this rage. And it's not just the social, social justice warriors that are immature children freaking out over everything. It's the cultural justice warriors yep. too. Yep. Yeah. So it's left and right are, are mirror images of each other, and they only vary in the things that they freak out over, and not even by that much. And quite frankly, you you'd be lucky to get a cigarette paper in between the two of them. That's how close they are. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you got Dana Martin. She's talking about the things that she does. Uh, Jim Cunnigan was there, and he was talking about things like um, the Milgram experiment. So understanding human behavior in some regards. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, Jeffrey Tucker came out, and Jeffrey Tucker was really wonderful about him is the the hope that he gives you for the future and talking about how technology changes things. You know, it's really amazing that with technology, humans are able to do these things. You know, we talked about earlier. You, 
with technology, you don't you don't die from a bug bite anymore. Right, you don't right. die from a broken leg. But there's so much more than I mean, the productivity. I and mean, you look at the 3D printer. What is done with 3D printer and milling machines today? Yeah. It, it used to require a big giant machine shop, and now somebody could set up in their garage or yeah. their basement, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. And these are just some of the speakers. I mean, there, there's a lot more speakers there, but. The people that you meet and the things that they know, the the ideas that they have, and it's not just about going there to go swimming and, and eat at the assault kitchen, which, don't get me wrong, eating at the assault kitchen is something that I recommend for everybody because – you know, I, that's I, need, how I, I need to visit the assault kitchen one day. Yeah. That's that's how I finance the trip is by, by vending food, yep. vending dinners and breakfasts. But the, the fact that you can sit down with all these people – and you can exchange ideas on how to be a little bit more free. You can talk about things that you could do to take the tyranny out of your life and how you can increase your own liberty one piece at a time. And by going around talking to these people and taking all this information home and putting it into use and then meeting other people. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody and they went with the statist Overton window thing of, well, I'm not happy with this, so I wish that there was just a, a tiny bit less tyranny. Right, right, okay. right. Well, how about no tyranny? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it's like the people that they they're, they're angry that drug that marijuana is illegal, so they say legalize it, regulate it, and, and tax and it, tax it, and we can, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what they fail to realize is that the early marijuana prohibitions were exactly that. It was legal, but it was taxed and regulated. Right. And it was taxed and regulated in a way that if you possessed it without the tax stamp, you would get arrested. And you had to take it to the place to get the tax stamp in order to, in order to get the tax stamp. Right. So if you transported it to get the tax stamp without the tax stamp, you, were, you would get arrested. The law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they didn't, out, they didn't outright prohibit it. They just made it illegal to – or they made it impossible to have, to have. Right, right, right. Exactly. So that, that so that's legalized tax and regulate. Now, if we change cannabis over to guns, let's say they implement all these different permits and all these different taxes, and you can still have gun owners, you can still have your Second Amendment. You just can't own a gun, right? Yeah. Because in order to follow all these all this taxation and regulation, and of course, we can't just let anybody have a gun, right? Right. I, Common I don't sense gun control. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, no. It, it's responsible gun ownership if you're conservative. Oh, yeah. So I because they conservatives don't want absolutely zero restrictions on gun ownership. No, no. They just want a different type of tyranny. Yeah. They they don't mind Obamacare when Trump is implementing it. If the individual mandate gets the name changed to the patriotic compliance requirement, they'll be all over it. America first healthcare. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you give something a patriotic name and Republicans will embrace any democratic program. Right, right, right. And, and and that is the history. So going back to Liberty Fest, you can meet all these different people and they know things and you can take this information home and you can add it to your repertoire and you can expand on it and you can meet other people that maybe – Maybe they're a little bit disgruntled. Maybe they don't really know why they're angry, but they know that they're that they are angry. Right. And maybe you can plant some seeds, and from there, maybe somebody else is born. Or at the very least, you can get a little bit of your own freedom back. 
Right, right, right. Well, Lou, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate you being on my my inaugural Virgin show uh, and uh, and and uh, and and going through this with me. Um, uh, so your your website is lousander.com, L-O-U-S-A-N-D-E-R.com. Uh, what else? Where where else can people go to to find out more about you and uh, your show and Mid Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest and, and anything else that that you'd like to share with them? Uh, Lou Sanders show basically covers my stuff. You can also go to freedomfiends.com. I'm not on there a whole lot anymore, but there's still a lot of other neat stuff on there that you might enjoy. For the fest, mplfest.org. That's Mike Papa Lima Fest.org. And I'm looking for the YouTube channel. It looks like it's Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. And I'm only seeing one video uploaded so far. But anyway. So those are the places people can find you. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hopefully having you on uh, some other time in the future. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to be had. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to my, my first episode of My Fellow Americans. I do promise that uh, in the future, this will be a lot less rough. Hopefully, it'll be live. I'll figure out how to stream uh, one day. Um, I am in the process of getting uh, nicer equipment so that I'll be higher resolution and won't have headphones in my ears like, uh, like we're talking on Skype together. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's, that's where I plan to go with this show. Um, I've learned quite a bit, even in this first episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that you share it with others. And uh, I look forward to uh, having you tune into my next episode. Best case scenario, I get to finish the tour.
then chill with the gust in August before I march and march again. Day quill in April, I know how cold this art can get. My head hurt and I must have a lot on my mind. When I got time on my hands, they put hands on my time. Tell me why? 